0: From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. The stock market continued to plummet this week, and lawmakers and the administration are rushing to put out new legislation to deal with the spread of coronavirus and its effects on the economy. If you turned on the news this week, it probably sounded a lot like this.
1: All three of Wall Street's major indexes plunged more than 7% on Monday. The Dow's more than 2,000 point drop is a one day record. Nikki Batiste is outside the New York Stock Exchange for us. Nikki, good morning. So, is this freefall likely to continue? And
0: some stations that focus on the economy sounded like this. This is one of the worst days in the history of the stock market. Day where the circuit breakers got kind of activated, down seven percent. A day where oil had its worst decline since 1991, down 24 percent. Day where the 10-year Treasury went below 0.5 percent, a record low, which tells you the bond market is terrified. That's Jim Cramer on CNBC's Mad Money. He says the bond market is terrified. For many Americans who don't follow the stock market, like myself. We understand that this is a bad thing, but not really why or how it affects everyday Americans. Today, we're gonna talk with an expert who can explain why this is happening and how crashes on Wall Street eventually do matter on Main Street. We'll also get into what lawmakers and the administration should and shouldn't do about it. Joel Griffith, a research fellow in Heritage's Roe Institute for Economic Policy, will explain right after this short break.
1: Overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle? Looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters? The Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day, plus interviews with lawmakers, authors, Heritage
0: Foundation experts, and more on the most important policy debates in America today. If you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out The Daily Signal podcast, available every weekday morning. Joel, this week was the worst day on Wall Street since the financial crisis in 2008, and that was because of the coronavirus. Why does this health crisis translate into the market crashing?
1: Um, There is a lot of uncertainty right now regarding how the virus will both impact us here in the United States, but also the broader global economy. We're very interconnected. That's brought us a lot of prosperity It's helped all levels of society, but it also means that when you have factories, for instance, overseas that become shuttered um, out of precaution, that means that we have a difficult time getting the goods that consumers want. But it also means that we have uh, a tough time getting those intermediate goods that are needed to actually produce finished products. And you can see this if you look at some of the ports on the West Coast. A lot of these ports look pretty empty right now, and that's because the output has declined by so much so quickly overseas.
0: And then, of course, there's, you know, it means less conferences because people are scared, less concerts, less travel, perhaps even less trips to the mall, if we get to that point. What types of businesses are, do you think are going to be hurt most by this?
1: Um, well, thus far, the slowdown looks to impact those sectors in which you actually have to physically participate. So you've got restaurants that, that might be suffering over the next quarter or so until the virus um, peaks. Um, hotels, if you look at casinos, um, some of those the market values of, of those stocks have gone down 30 and 40%. Cruise lines, of course, car rental agencies, airlines. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty what this will hold for them, and indications are initially that they're being hit pretty hardly, at least for the short term. And whether or not that fear from the general public is rational or irrational, that does have an impact on those specific sectors.
0: And there's a difference between how it hits some businesses and others, right? So, for example, restaurants, while they might have this dip where they have no customers and they're really hurting, they're not necessarily going to see a spike in, you know, customers when this is over or as it passes. But there, are, what are some type of industries where they may bounce back?
1: Um, well, I think longer term, all of these sectors should bounce back. Um, People are not likely to permanently change the number of times they go out to eat in a given uh, month or the number of vacations that they take in a year. But at the same time, this is something that that revenue once it's lost, you're likely not going to be able to compensate for it. For instance, if you typically take a few vacations a year and you have that week or two vacation time, if you miss that window this quarter, you might not be able to make that up. And likewise, if I stay in for a week or two because I'm ill, whether it's from coronavirus or anything else, I don't necessarily go out and say, "Well, I didn't go out to eat last week, so I'm going to go ahead and go twice next week." It doesn't work like that. But on the flip side, this looks to be a very, uh, a relatively short period of pain for these companies. Um, I think what I'm more concerned about, longer term. Are uh, What we saw happen over the weekend with the crash in oil prices, uh, that hasn't happened since 91. That might be more of a longer-term problem to work through with some of the energy sector.
0: So are there, are there any companies or businesses that do well in a crisis like this? Like, for example, you're seeing empty shelves at Walmart. People are running there to get their stuff. Are there any other companies like that? Is Walmart? Is this actually good for Walmart <laughs> or is it bad for them in the long run?
1: So in the short term, there are some companies that will benefit. If you look at uh, consumer items such as paper towels, toilet paper, bottled water, people are stockpiling in some areas as if we are not going to be able to leave our homes for months. Now, I think that is a big overreaction, but just because something might be rational doesn't mean that'll be what the general public follows. And you can see that by going to some of the Costco's, even here in D.C., Now, what that will do for those companies that produce those items, that might be a short-term bump, but longer-term, that's going to have no impact because you can go ahead and stockpile and buy in advance a year's worth of toilet paper, but guess what? Over the course of the next year, you are not likely at all to use more toilet paper than you would have otherwise. Um, Now, there are some companies that might see a longer-term gain from that, and I would say that's likely to be some in the technology sector. This might cause people to uh, attempt to use newer technologies far more quickly than it would have otherwise. And it might turn out they actually like these technologies. A big space for that might be audio-video conferencing, um, online classroom instruction. We see this a lot now with universities such as uh, Harvard and Ohio State that have gone ahead and shut their doors for a few weeks. You might see that people really end up liking these technologies, and a lot of folks might not have used these for the next year or next two years. So it could speed up adaptation. And for some of those companies, this might result in a permanent increase in market value.
0: So this topic came up really early on in the crisis before all news stations started talking about it. What about the supply chain, things that are built in China, let's say? Will we see many disturbances there?
1: Um, we, We are likely to see disturbances, but that's going to be somewhat sector specific. If you look at the range of manufacturing items and the range of imports, that varies widely. Uh, for instance, we rely on China a lot for our printed goods. We rely on China um, quite a bit for our, our furniture imports, um, some fabricated metal products. Uh, so to the extent that production is curtailed in China and across Southeast Asia, uh, any type of company that relies on those products for their finished goods, they're going to run into some problems. I think this does stress the importance of having a well-diversified supply chain from across the globe. Uh, But I think we need to be cautious that there's going to be a lot of uh, folks uh, that are going to begin to argue that this is really a curse on our economy, the fact that we actually are in reliance upon them. We need to look at the big picture on that. If you look look out over the past 40 years – the entire world has become more interconnected. And during that time, we've seen billions of people come out of poverty. And here in our country, we were already were the wealthiest large nation on earth. We've seen our country become much more wealthy as a result, as well, because that's taking advantage of. Uh, of, of those uh, benefits. We all benefit by trading with each other. So I, it's, it's important that our industries and our, our consumers rely upon a wide array of countries for, for our, our goods. Um, but at the same time, I, let's not mischaracterize this. And let's remember that we've all benefited from the fact um, that we are trading with so many different countries.
0: So I think this is really one of the most important questions to me and one of the reasons I wanted to do this interview Let's say I'm not in the service industry and I'm not at risk of falling fatally ill due to my age and health. Why does the stock market matter to me? Let's say other than my 401k investments, I don't own any stock. Why should I care?
1: Uh, Well, I think number one, you mentioned, even if we're not professional traders, a lot of us have 401ks. So longer-term market performance is very important. And thankfully, longer-term, the market has generated returns in excess of the rate of inflation, which makes it possible for those living on just a typical middle-class income to actually retire and be comfortable, even if they never earn extraordinary amounts of wealth. Um, But for those that are worried just about the retirement accounts – I think we need to keep in mind the big picture that those investments are typically not going to be utilized for years down the road. And if you've been doing things prudently, working with your financial advisor, if you're looking to retire next year, it's likely that your investment portfolio is not concentrated completely in um, riskier equity assets. Uh, But overall, let's look at it from outside that retirement account perspective. Um, Performance of the stock market uh, is, is important. Um, this is a way for in investors, large and small, to trade ownership in individual companies. And it's a way for our economy to very efficiently allocate capital. If you're an investor and you decide that um, you want to go ahead and switch your uh, your focus from one business or sector to another, you can very easily go ahead and sell that security on the exchange and then direct that capital elsewhere. And the market has been, the market, I'm not talking about the stock market, but um, individual investors have been extraordinarily adept at directing capital to those businesses that end up producing wealth, not just for the shareholders, but wealth that benefits all. All of us.
0: So all that, though, I still see as being Wall Street, and I'm thinking Main Street. So how does this affect Joe's job that has nothing to do with the market? Um, Could these changes in the market translate into layoffs at his company? And how does that all happen?
1: Sometimes it's hard to see how a Wall Street crisis or a Wall Street boom can affect someone who is just a typical income earner making 40, 50 or $60,000 per year. Um, But the way our capital system works is you need capital in order to actually build a business. Now on a smaller level, those companies can go ahead and get that money from friends, family. Maybe they can save it. Maybe they can borrow it from the bank. But even if you're getting a loan from a bank, you know, Oftentimes, those banks are actually traded, publicly traded on the stock exchange. You need that investor money to even make it possible for that bank to operate in order for that small business owner or maybe that car repair company or that restaurant or that beauty salon to get that money. Most people don't just have in their pockets $50,000 to start a business. But thanks to our system, our capitalist system that actually um, is concentrated oftentimes on Wall Street, it makes it possible for all those smaller businesses up to the larger businesses to actually get that capital and have a chance at making something for themselves. And all of us who aren't business owners that are employed by those businesses, we all directly benefit by actually having an opportunity to earn a living for ourselves. And that's that connection to New York and Wall Street.
0: Okay. So we also know that Congress just passed an $8 billion emergency spending deal to fight coronavirus. What should Congress and the administration do about this? What about this stimulus package and and those types of things that we've been hearing about?
1: Well, too often in Washington, D.C., we see politicians and special interest groups push through um, very pork-laden legislation in the name of combating a crisis. Now, if you look at this initial package that was passed by Congress, um, a lot of this had some it had some good funding. Uh, and we should be funding our Centers for Disease Control and ensuring that we have the proper resources to inform the public and to treat those that become infected with the, this disease and help people um, take measures to not spread it. That that's great. Um, But even in this relatively smaller piece of legislation, the eight billion dollars that you mentioned, there were hundreds of millions, actually well over a billion dollars that actually was not even directly related to combating this virus. That's to be expected. This happens. And like
0: Washington, D.C.,
1: sadly, there's not often enough attention given to that. I know Heritage Foundation has focused on that. And we've been trying to to get the message out that let's make sure we're funding the response um, but let's not use this as uh, – let's be very cautious because there's a lot of individuals that want to push through these big policy changes um, that are not free market oriented that would actually result in less economic growth in the future but benefit a small number of well-connected special interests. And we need to be on guard against that.
0: What about a payroll tax?
1: Um, so there's been a lot of discussion about a payroll tax reduction in order to um, counter the negative economic consequences of this. Um, Unfortunately, that is not likely to make any meaningful impact. And and here's why. Um, This problem that we're facing with coronavirus, it's twofold. It's a demand side problem, supply side problem. What I mean by that is on the demand side, you have a lot of individuals that are, are fearful of traveling, of taking a cruise, of taking a flight of going out to eat, of going to the mall. And that fear can be rational. It can be irrational. In a lot of cases, maybe it is rational. But regardless of whether or not it's rational or not, giving individuals some extra dollars in their paycheck is not going to spur them into making a decision that they think might actually result in disastrous health consequences. It's not going to solve that. Second of all, we have a supply problem. By that, I mean what we talked about earlier. We have factories in parts of Asia, and Southeast Asia, and possibly spreading throughout the world that are not fully producing because people aren't able to be there for work. And there's been a lot of uncertainty even with business investment in keeping these operations going. Once again, putting, borrowing money and then taking that money from DC and giving it to individuals, that does nothing to remedy that problem of these factories not producing. Um, it's counterproductive. And in fact, we've seen... What this does. If you go back to the uh, Obama era uh, following the Great Recession, we had similar programs put in place. We ended up with stubbornly high unemployment and we had the slowest recovery of any post-recession period since World War II. So we should be keeping the focus on how do we counter the virus, inform the public, make sure we've got the health system in place to treat them. And then we know what works. With, with economic growth. We've seen this administration and Congress work together to lower taxes on savings and investment, and those should be permanent reductions to give businesses certainty, and then rolling back regulations and expanding free trade. This is a supply problem. Maybe now would be a great time to eliminate some of those tariffs that are actually making our supply that much more expensive.
0: Thank you so much, Joel, for helping us kind of dig through these issues. Unfortunately, I don't think this is going to be the last time we talk about this. Hopefully it won't be for that much longer, but thank you so much for joining us. All right. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode. If you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a five-star rating or even take some time out to share your thoughts. It really does help out the show. Also, we'd love to hear your thoughts and questions on this topic. Email us at managingeditor@heritage.org. at heritage.org. Tim will be back with a new episode next week. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Descher, with editing by Thalia Rampersad.